Not a great night's sleep. No, not a great night's sleep. I think less than six hours. You give me six, seven, eight, that's good. Less than six, it's going to be groggy. Episode 104 is going to be groggy. And I was really just going to start this podcast complaining about work stress. Really, that tired topic. Oh, woe is me. Listen to how stressful it is and blah, blah, motherfucking blah. But I realized something. Everybody right now is having some work stress. Everybody, if you're lucky enough to still have a job, your job got harder. This pandemic made things more challenging for you. You name any job right now, and I'll tell you what I think the challenges are, the difficulties. I could just think of any job and then explain, oh, that's probably more difficult because, even jobs I don't have. I go, oh, that sounds harder because. There's not one job that's now more enjoyable during the pandemic. Everybody looks at COVID-19 and says, oh yeah, that impacted me pretty negatively in the workspace. Yeah, my profession, not as fun, not as manageable. I mean, there's some straight chaos in the teaching world right now. It's absolute crisis mode as schools are reopening, mainly in front of these screens. But I tiptoe away from that. I go, no, 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 no. I'm not going to inundate your ears with stress to start the episode. Instead, and I was reminded of this when I woke up, but I haven't even talked about the passing of Ralph Barbieri. There have been some significant deaths during this pandemic, and they just get shoved to the back page. I mean, we've lost some legends. Bill Withers passed away. Carl Reiner passed away during this pandemic. I haven't really talked about it, thought about it so much because we're all just so caught up in COVID-19. That's your news feed, COVID-19. Anything else seems like, eh, you know what? It's not even news. Plus, any news story that feels like it's a different category from the coronavirus talk, it's connected. Sports, anything in the sports world right now, connected. Money, econ, business, finance, all connected. Politics, campaigns, the election, all connected. Science, all connected. So you can't get away from it. But occasionally you see one of these stories of a celebrity death and you're like, damn, kind of comes out of nowhere. Not to say I'm more prepared for death outside of the pandemic, but when you're so focused on one singular topic, you got that tunnel vision, thinking about COVID, 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 and then you get a text from a friend. Did you hear about Ralph Barbieri? And I go, oh no. Ralph Barbieri was a longtime sports radio host at KNBR 680. And he was the first sports radio host I ever really heard. And to this day, he's probably the most unique voice I've ever heard on Sports Talk Radio. Always loved him in a weird way. Probably one of the things that inspired me to get involved in that industry, in that wild industry. And when I heard he passed away, I was sad and I was not surprised. And I was reflecting on how our paths crossed. And a lot of the times, you know, let's say there's a celebrity death. People put up a picture of them with that person on Instagram or Twitter. And you go, okay, it's all about you now, huh? Let's say you met that person and it was a nice experience and you put that picture up. That's fine. So when I talk about Ralph, it's not to be self-serving, but it still amazes me that I was able to become pretty friendly with him. Now, here's the story. Many years ago, when Ralph was on the air, the Razor, they called him. The Razor. Little Italian guy who got a start as a journalist, as a sports writer, because of a long-form piece he did with Bill Walton. Before he was even employed, Bill Walton said, come follow me for a week at my home in Oregon. And the piece that Ralph wrote was so good, Sport Magazine picked it up, and then they basically just started carrying his articles, and then Ralph became a sports correspondent, 
He was interviewed on KMBR, and then he realized, wait, I want to be on the other side of this interview. I want to be the host. So he followed that dream, and the offer came in the late 80s. They put him on Sports Phone 68. Sports Phone 68, KNBR, the sports leader. Hey, it's Ralph. Just taking your calls. And that's how it started for him. And then, I think it was 2011, the story comes out that Ralph has Parkinson's. And he had had it since 05, but it became public news. Ralph Barbieri has Parkinson's. A year after that goes public, KNBR fires him. That was big news in sports radio. I don't know if it was big news in the Bay Area or beyond, but in the sports radio world, that's big news to fire Ralph a year after it's revealed that he has Parkinson's and he sues the company. And it's an ugly lawsuit that lasts many years. And in the end, they settle. I'm pretty sure Ralph cashed in. Good for him. Never hosted another show. That was it. Mr. T, Tom Tolbert, went on to work with other hosts. Still very talented, but that magic, the razor and Mr. T, it was done. It was gone. And now let's fast forward. Let's fast forward a little bit to 2015. 2015, I'm at 95.7 The Game in San Francisco, basically just doing weekends, a college football show. This is the last hurrah, the last little mini chapter of my radio career. And at this point, I'm enrolled at Dominican University to get a teaching credential. Definitely. A transitional phase as I'm not really making a living in radio anymore and not quite making a living in teaching yet. So yeah, definitely living at mom's with a big duffel bag and a slobbering old beagle. So as I find my first teaching job at Novato High School, I was told by one of the other teachers, I think an English teacher who knew I was in sports radio. I think there was a point where I was still doing radio and teaching. It overlapped for a little bit. So they knew what I was doing and they said, Ralph Barbieri's son actually goes here. And I said, really? Hadn't even thought about the name Ralph Barbieri in so long. His son goes here to Novato High? Ralph lives in Novato? You know, I always just thought he was a city guy. But I was surprised with that. All right, Ralph has a son that goes to this high school that I teach at. Okay, great. Then forgot about it. Then a year later, I'm looking at my rosters and there it is. Tate Barbieri on my world history roster. So the first assignment of the school year, I have all the kids write me a letter. Just tell me about yourself. What are you into? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? What's your background all about? What's your family life all about? Tell me as much as you want. It's a very vague, loose, general prompt. Tell me about yourself. And I write them a letter about myself too. So I'm not just a face. I become a human. And then soon after they write this letter, they open up. A lot of the kids really open up with that assignment. But Tate's letter said, Dear Mr. Rosenberg, my name is Tate Ali Barbieri. My dad is Ralph Barbieri. And he was a longtime host at KNBR 680. And I think I just read that first sentence a few times and went, yeah, I'm going to keep this one. This one's special. And he told me in this letter all about the privileges he had had by being Ralph's son, all the Warrior games, all the Niner games, all the Giants games, in the clubhouse, in the dugout, in the locker room, in the parades. And I was like, Tate, what a life. I know exactly who you are. Told him straight up. I am a fan of your dad. And Ralph was a good dad. So involved. He would email me, gave me his phone number, told me all the needs for his son, gave me a lot of insight. Very in touch. And there's a couple nights a year where teachers meet with the parents. And Ralph came. I remember the first time he came with a cane and he didn't have that voice anymore. It was like a very, very old man had shown up. Because Ralph Barbieri, the radio host, he had energy. He had a bite. And then, of course, battling Parkinson's disease, it took a lot of that zest. 
but if you stood closely, you could still hear him. And we had a great talk the first time I met him. And he said, yeah, let's be in touch. And we were. He would email. I would email. We'd talk about radio, talk about Tate, talk about journalism, talk a little sports. And it became normal. You know, when I think about it, I go, wow, I got to know Ralph. But, you know, as soon as you actually meet another human who you revere, you go, oh, okay, it's still just normal now. And then something happened throughout the year. His son started to really like the class. I guess this sounds like the self-serving portion of the story, but Tate started to do really well. And Ralph told me, Tate doesn't really do that. He doesn't love school, but he loves the class and he's going to take your journalism class next year. So I was like, good. All right. Connecting with his son. And he was thankful. And he said, you remind me of me. And I thought that is something else. That is cool. And when Tate graduated a couple of years ago, I guess out of sight, out of mind, I stopped thinking about Ralph. I just figured Ralph's going to live his life out in Nevada. And then that story just boom, hit a week ago. Ralph Barbieri passed away at age 74, survived by his son, Tate. And I'm like, Jesus, holy shit. That's a sad story. It's an amazing story, too, of everything he cared about. Ultimately, it all just boiled down to one thing. He cared about his son. He was a good dad. And I think Tate is now probably 20 years old, and I got to get in touch with him. I've been meaning to do that. That would be cool if he becomes a sports radio host. I just thought, yeah, why not? He likes sports. He likes shoes, too. That kid should have an internship in the next five to ten minutes. Hey, my name is Tate. Okay, who cares? Barbieri? Oh, right this way. At least I think that's how it should be, right? There's also an inspiring part of that story that he just goes to the hotel when the Blazers in the 70s are in Oakland to face the Warriors. He wants to do a story on Bill Walton, just a freelance journalist. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go see Bill, ask for an interview. That doesn't happen anymore. And Bill grants him not just the interview, but an invitation to his home in Oregon to follow him around. I'd love to read that story. Just so happens that the subject of the story is probably the most eccentric athlete in the history of the NBA. Yeah, that'll get published. So you'll do exactly what you want to do. Start doing it now. Ralph, you want to be a sports journalist? Yeah, okay. Just go do it. Start doing it. This got sad. This got sad. I went from groggy and stressed to now sad. And I'm going to make it sadder. You ready for this? I'm really here to pump you up. But there's a documentary right now on Amazon Prime called It Started as a Joke. And there are now documentaries for people like me that are just so interested in stand-up comedy. I'm almost more interested in how stand-up comedy works in the lives of these people than the actual shows. I know it's weird to say, but it's like how Hard Knocks is better than many of the actual football games I watch. I like the behind-the-scenes stuff. So there's documentaries that are tailor-made for comedy nerds like me. And this one is about Eugene Merman and his festival. Eugene Merman is a, he's a Russian guy, but an East Coast comic in the alternative scene when it was becoming big. And most people don't know that name, Eugene Merman, unless you're like a really, really big comedy fan. But he's good. And he put on the festival that attracted so many big names. Bobcat Goldthwait, Michael Shea, Sarah Silverman, just a lot of big time comics liked doing his shows. And I thought that's what the documentary was about. All right, cool. I'm going to see the inner workings of the Eugene Merman Comedy Festival. Certainly something for when my wife is not in the room. I mean, that really is just for me. And then halfway through the documentary, they start talking about Eugene's wife. I go, okay, it's a nice love story. How he met her. Okay. First kiss. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know where this was going at all. And then they describe the cancer she's battling. And I'm like, okay, 
they talk about how it went away and then it came back and how she was terminally ill and now they have a two and a half year old boy and they're raising this kid knowing that mommy is going to pass away soon. This is where the documentary goes. And I honestly had the moment of, can I handle this? Do I just abort, change the channel? Can I handle this? I don't even know. Am I in the mood for this? But I kept watching one eye open. Can I stomach this? You see her in the backyard just playing with her young son. And then they interview her and she goes, yeah, I know I'm going to pass away soon. And I know that this kid will not have memories of me, but I'm happier than I've ever been. And I thought, no shit. She just said she's happier than she's ever been. And her relationship with Eugene is so sweet. You know, she's so supportive of him. And he's now doing cancer jokes, I guess, trying to bring humor to a painful topic, which is not uncommon for these comics. But as she is describing why she's happy, I couldn't understand. I just on the surface, I go, what the fuck is she happy about? I'm not happy with her situation. And that's when my wife walks in the room. My wife, subtle wisdom. She's not flaunting it, but she's got that kind of wisdom that I like to tap into. Tap, tap, tap. Give me some of that. Give me some of that wisdom. And my wife said, well, she's no longer taking things for granted. So every moment she is having throughout the day, knowing that the end is so close, is causing her to be so present and so thankful and to not take things for granted. And I immediately just went to my phone and Googled, why do humans take things for granted? Why do we do that? Every day we wake up, we look around the room. We don't say, oh, I'm thankful to have sight. I am thankful that my eyes function. We hear something. The first thing we hear in the morning, we don't go, I'm thankful that I have ears and the ability to hear the world. No, and throughout the day, we get so nearsighted with all of the stressors that we live a giant percentage of our day taking things for granted. We do. We just do. It doesn't mean you're not grateful. A lot of us have those moments. Maybe they're fleeting. Maybe you tell the people that you love that you love them all the time, and that's great. But the research, I love to say research when I just Googled something and read the first article. The research that I did into this topic was pretty fascinating. So I'm going to get into a little bit of it and think about how much of this is true to you, how much of this is relatable, that a lot of the things in our lives, they seem steady because they're there. They seem kind of dependable, that they just start to blend in to the backdrop of our daily lives. And this is the fallacy of permanence. This article I read talked about the fallacy of permanence. Our minds tend to think, unless we're thinking about death, we're really stuck into a default that things are just going to last. We set ourselves up for this disappointment because the truth is nothing actually lasts. Everything is changing over time. Even your closest relationships, they evolve, they have transitions. All the circumstances, as we age, things are changing. And you know this. This isn't like a big revelation because you know this on an intellectual level. But it causes us to take things for granted. We just do. It's shitty. We do. So when you take things for granted, it becomes a habit of our brains. And novelty tends to wear off, as we know. You you buy new shoes, it's fun for a day or two, maybe three, maybe three weeks, three months. Those new shoes stop feeling new and stop providing joy so quickly. Novelty wears off and we move on. We just move on to something else. We don't just look at the little things and appreciate them to the highest of levels at all times. We're not wired that way. Like I enjoy a lot of things, but at the highest of levels at all times, am I so thankful? No, I take things for granted like crazy. So do you. Doesn't mean you stop caring. Just means we take things for granted. Then you stop paying attention to them, basically. And it adds to us living with this anxious feeling. 
Always looking for the next best thing. What's the next best thing to stimulate me? What's the next best thing to make me happy? What's the next best thing? Instead of taking a step back and looking at your current circumstances, just currently what's going on in your life and saying, I love that. And I mean the real little things, the real little things like, oh, I like the sight of that tree. That tree's been there every day in your yard. You don't examine it anymore. You take it for granted. It's a pretty tree. You take it for granted. But this lady, I'd never heard somebody in such a dire situation sound so happy. And that had to be tough for Eugene, her comedian husband, because he must have loved seeing his wife happy, but hated knowing the suffering that was to come. And then the documentary ends, and she's still alive as the documentary ends. And then in the credits, it said dedicated to her that she passed away in 2020. This is a new release. And I was thinking, oh shit. Okay. Okay. Didn't intend to feel this way after a comic festival documentary, but definitely learned a big lesson. That's every day. You learn something every day. Can you apply it? I don't know. I actually don't know. Of all the lessons I learn every single day, am I capable of applying them? Probably not consistently, but just by having the tools. You got the tools. Do you always use them? No, but you got the tools. I got the tools. I can access them sometimes. In crisis mode, I got the tools. It's like right now, with the crisis facing the world of education, all these kids so pissed off they can't come back to school and see their friends, meet their new teachers. It's all going to be through a screen. The joy of this job was just stuffed, just stuffed into a new zone of discomfort. I'm going to be staring into a screen for so many hours this school year. Ugh, how unhealthy is that? I'm just going to stare into a screen. I mean, I'm going to make it as good as I can. But last night going to bed, it caused such a shitty feeling to come over me. I, st- I started to access the tools. All right, what do they say? What's a mantra? What does Eckhart Tolle say about this? Okay, what did John Kabat-Zinn say about this? What did my Calm app say about that? Okay, I got to just start Googling good quotes. Okay, what about mindfulness? What about all that? Okay, 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 okay. okay. All right, got the tools. Take a breath, feel your feet on the ground. Don't take things for granted. I got the tools, got to use the tools. And I realized I don't have the fight in me anymore. I don't. It dissipates these feelings like I want to challenge authority. Say fuck you to the man. Corporate man. I don't have it as much as I should. I just have been rolled into this system where now I nod and say, yes, okay, fine. I gotta find that fight. Deet 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 deet. I gotta find the fight. I gotta get that song going right now. Actually, I know what song I have to play right now. I can't be told what to do anymore. I'm gonna rise up. All right. I'm in the corner taking too many punches. All right, it's time for Joe Esposito. Okay, Joe. Oh, yeah, just put that on loop. You might think of the Karate Kid when you hear that. No, that's just life. That used to be the Karate Kid. Now, the soundtrack to our lives. Nothing's ever gonna keep you down. I've tried to not Zoom this summer successfully because I know how much Zoom is coming, but have you noticed when you see yourself on Zoom, it's way too much looking at yourself for way too long. We don't look at ourselves 
for a large portion of the day. And Zoom is changing that. You just have yourself in a box. Occasionally you look at yourself, you go, oh shit, double chin. Oh shit, forehead wrinkles. Oh boy. Hair's looking kind of gray. Oh no, I was biting my nails for the last five minutes. I forgot that was public. But then you just got to adjust. You know what I mean? You catch your face. You go, oh, I have to adjust. I have people looking at me. No one's probably looking at you. Yeah. Oh, my posture is shitty. Oh, they can only see the top half of my face. Like we are now going to have a mirror in front of us. I guess people already have this. I miss the days of not looking at myself all day on Zoom. Just those fleeting moments in the mirror to see if you have a booger. Nope. Good. Okay. Great. Right. The bare minimum glance at yourself in a mirror at work. That's it. In the morning. Boom. Brush your teeth. Out the door. That's it. Quick booger checks throughout the day. That's it. Now Zoom is like, oh Lord, how much critiquing can I do of how awkward my face has become when I'm listening? If you scratch your nose, you hope everybody knows. I wasn't picking it. I I wasn't picking it. All the many weird things we do, it's all caught. It's all caught. People are watching. They are watching you on your Zoom. You know that song? I think it was Paul Anka. I forget. Zooming now. We're Zooming tonight. Zooming now. We zoom in the light. Zooming, yeah. There's going to be a lot of songs written about Zoom life. No, maybe not. This morning on my wander, I don't even call them a walk anymore. Just on a wander. There's no leash anymore. I just open the front door and we wander into somebody's yard like a couple of hobos until someone says, get, get away. Go on now, you hear? They say it to me too, not just the dog. Get, get. And I'm wearing sunglasses, a beanie, and a mask. So they don't know who I am. It's kind of weird. I just go, okay, okay. I grumble with that morning voice. Okay, okay. You're just, you're just peeing. So we go on a real slow... God, that sounded creepy. Sorry. I'm not that creepy. But we go on our morning roll, our morning wander, and my dog Muggsy, who bleeds from his ears and scream coughs in the night, he was walking slowly by a white fence in front of a white house and a giant white dog came out and started barking as aggressively as I've ever heard a dog barking and my dog is completely deaf so he just stayed at the fence staring at this muted white dog scream barking and the owner comes out who's the owner well a white lady in a white nightgown with a white permed hair none of this is a joke and she immediately starts talking to her dog with these long commands and she has a spray bottle in her hand and she starts spraying the dog's face saying things like oh come on glacier come on stop glacier the dog's name is glacier it's a nice lady i mean i've seen her before but the way she is training her dog it's all wrong it's all wrong the spray bottle where did she learn that i've seen this before where did people ever learn that spraying your dog or cat in the face with water is going to have them respond. Like, oh, okay. Don't tell me it works. It's just weird looking. This old lady. Old white perm. Old white nightgown. Glacier, I thought we had an agreement that in the mornings we don't raise our voice. I was like, is that a command? Is that what they taught you at obedience school? Glacier, the neighbors don't want to hear any of that. Spraying the shit out of his face. Glacier's still screaming at my deaf dog. It was a hot moment on the block, folks. Hot. Hot moment. I had to grab my dog, drag him out of that fight. But I didn't want to go too far, too soon, because I was still so interested 
into hearing how Glacier's owner was using the full sentence commands. That won't work. Glacier, for Pete's sake, would you come out here? Could you please keep it down? Oh, is that what Cesar Milan talks about? Asking Glacier to please keep it down? No. No, no, no. How do I know this? I was guilty of it. 14 years ago, my Uncle Monty visited me, and he heard me use the full sentence commands, very conversational, to my dog. I'd say, Muggsy, come on. What the fuck are you doing? Stop. You got to stop that. And it's just blabber to his ears. And my uncle said, you know, that just doesn't work. It'll never work. It's kind of funny, though. So I did it. I took my dog to obedience school, and he was the worst in the class. Not even sure why we had a certificate. Did I frame it? Yeah, I framed it. It was in my kitchen for about eight years. That Muggsy passed his class and I had a meeting with the teacher. I said, look, this isn't working for anybody. I hate coming. My dog ruins everything. And she was so sweet. She said, don't worry, it'll be fine. And it's never been fine, but I appreciate them giving us a certificate. So now, yeah, less full sentence commands. This is why you listen, right? To understand how to raise your dog and stop spraying your dog in the face with the water. A dog evolved from wolves, okay? How embarrassing. Wolves. Gray wolves. Timber wolves. They evolved into Glacier getting sprayed. Glacier, please understand that good behavior will be rewarded. And Glacier just looks at her and says, Shut the fuck up. Go inside. Finish Matlock. I'll be in when I'm done screaming at this dumb fuck beagle. She doesn't know that's how Glacier talks. She doesn't know. Glacier? Perhaps you're in the mood for an organic chicken stick. All right, who's watching sports? Who's watching full NBA games? I like the highlights. I start the game, I lose interest, and then I want to come back for the fourth quarter. I don't watch four quarters anymore. I'm the worst. Because it used to be my favorite thing in the world. Isn't that weird? Have you ever had that? Your favorite thing in the world stops being your favorite thing in the world, and then you try to return to it later in life, and you go, huh, I want to develop that enthusiasm once again. But it's not there. Like the NBA when I was 10 years old, it's all I cared about. I knew every name on every roster. I'm not exaggerating right now. I knew every name, probably where, where they went to college, their height, their jersey number, every player, every team. Now I watch a game. I know about four, five out of the 10 guys on the court. And I don't even know who's like really great. The young players. It's passed me by. But it's the only thing on TV someday. So I'll watch it a little bit, a little bit here and there. But I was an NBA nerd. Nerd. People think nerd like Dungeons and Dragons, Magic Cards, Pocket Protector, Calculator Watch. No, 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 no. That's just what pop culture told you nerd is. But nerd is when you're just a nerd about, you know what it means. I was a nerd about the NBA. Posters, studying the back of basketball cards, studying it. Like there was a test. Not studying schoolwork. My teachers could attest to. So the other day, my daughter, who now can play independently a little bit more, meaning she just will get lost in the house and we'll have to find her and go, oh God, how long was she doing that? But she found my old box of basketball cards and I have a box that's actually an unopened box of Fleer 1990 basketball player cards. And it's not sacred. It's probably worth 14 cents. I don't know why I haven't opened all the packs, these wax packs. I gave my groomsmen a pack. That sounds cheap. I also gave them some socks and a tie on my wedding day, but I had to give them a little gift as well. So, hey, here's a 
1990 pack of basketball cards for us to mess with. So I figured, hey, you're probably not listening anymore. I mean, you got through the first 15, 20 minutes of this podcast and said, enough's enough. You made me a little too sad. Goodbye. But if you're still with me, I have now decided the way to end this podcast is to open up a pack right here on the podcast, right here on the show that I've never opened up and go through every single player. This is going to bore the shit out of you. But to prove that in 1990, when I was about nine years old, I was a savant and I bet you it stayed in my mind. I'm going to tell you everything I know. I'm just going to go through this pack real quick. I'm going to tell you everything I remember about these players. Maybe there'll be some I don't remember, but this will be a weird experience. All right, let me get the audio of this. There we go. I'm opening a pack. Can you hear that? Can you hear that? All right, here we go. First one out of the gates, Larry Nance. Forward, Cleveland Cavs. Of course I know Larry. He won the first ever slam dunk contest. I'm going to try to give a fun fact about all these guys. And his son played for the University of Wyoming and then the Lakers, Larry Nance Jr. Look at that hairline on Larry. I once interviewed him. It turns out he's into NASCAR. That's his favorite sport, not basketball. All right, Larry, moving on. Terry Porter is the next card from the Blazers. Guard, you remember Terry. He was on that Blazers team that lost to the Bulls. Great two guard. Or was he the point guard? I forget, but Terry was sick. The next one, Byron Scott. He was a San Diego Clipper, but on this card, he's a Laker, number four. That man could rise up, then became a coach. Are you kidding? I'm not joking right now. Michael Jordan. Wow, this is a hell of a pack. I got a Jordan. This actually might be worth over a dollar. I don't need to give you a fun fact. I've talked about him too much, but I have a lot of posters still in my classroom. Not even a Bulls fan. That's how big Jordan was. All right, the next one, Dan Marley. No one would look at that last name, M-A-J-E-R-L-E, Majerl, and go, oh yeah, hey, Dan Marley, right? No, but he was a three-point threat, also on a team that lost to Jordan's Bulls in the finals, those Suns teams. Sharpshooter, has a nice sports bar and grill that probably has gone under by now in Scottsdale. The next one, Bill Lambeer. I once saw Bill Lambeer playing craps at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. And that's one tall man. I could walk right under Bill Lambeer. If he was standing up, I think I could walk right under him and his balls wouldn't even graze the top of my head. There's your fun fact about Bill. The next one is Mike Jaminski. I remember this guy, just a boring center for the Sixers. What's my fun fact about Mike Jaminski? Uh, let me look on the back. Seventh round overall pick out of Duke? Oh, I know this guy. Sorry. Sorry. I know Mike Jaminski. Next guy, Mike Sanders. Never heard of him from the Pacers. All right, there's the first never heard of him. Kevin McHale is next from the Celtics. Kevin McHale could have been a warrior, should have been a warrior. That's right. The Warriors, when they traded Robert Parrish to the Celtics, they also gave away his rights. Hey, did you know the Warriors used to fuck up all the time? The next, this card is a white guy with a mullet named Robert Hansen, and on the card, he's wearing a jazz jersey, but the logo is Kings, so there's a big logo in the middle. It says, traded to Sacramento. Thank you for letting us know. The next is Akeem Olajuwon. This is the best pack of cards I've ever opened. Happy I'm capturing this right now. Happy I'm recording it. Akeem is probably my favorite center of all time. And I'm saying, Akeem, you're wondering, don't you mean Hakeem? No, this is from 1990. That's A-K-E-E-M, Olajuwon. Fun fact about him, Clyde Drexler's teammate at the University of Houston. He was the first overall pick. That year, Jordan came out of North Carolina. Olajuwon was the first overall pick. And guess what? He should have been. I said it. All right, next card, Spud Webb, five foot seven, won the dunk contest. Probably the greatest person of all time. There's my fun fact. Spud Webb. Try to meet somebody that doesn't love Spud Webb. And if you haven't heard of him, go to YouTube and just type in Spud Webb Dunk Contest. You've never seen a vertical like this. It looks like video games. 
Next one, Liddell Eccles, Bullets. Know the name. Not much about him. The next one, holy shit, Tim Hardaway, Warriors. It's like, what? This pack features some of my favorite players of all time. Tim Hardaway, this is his, is it his rookie? I don't know. But there's Terry Teagle in the background being guarded by Mark Jackson, the future Warriors coach. This is Hardaway with the Warriors driving to the bucket in a card. I might just frame this and put it in my daughter's room. She should grow up knowing about the legends of the game. Timmy was the coolest. I could go on and on, but I hope you're not listening anymore. And then Terry Catledge from the inaugural Orlando Magic. Remember when the Orlando Magic first became a team? And people were wondering, why that name? Why that jersey? Why those colors? Why anything? Why Orlando, Florida for an NBA team? And Terry Catledge was one of their better players. I remember that because my dad took me to see the Magic and he had a big game in Oakland against the Warriors. So I remember that name, Terry Catledge. Oh boy, you just survived the most boring part of the Here We Go podcast. Good for you, you nerd. You nerd. So to review, that's Terry Catledge, Tim Hardaway, just kidding. Um, What am I going to do with that pack now? That's going to be in the recycling bin. No one needs those cards. Actually, I should save the Jordan and Elijah one. But no one's going to need to see those. I'm going to have guests over. Hey, how about a gin and tonic and then I'll show you my cards. Then after that, I'll show you my pogs. Pogs. God, was I a nerd. Pogs were big. You remember Pogs? Do you remember Pogs? I bet I could find some Pogs. I think I've saved. I haven't saved a lot. Or maybe I have. But I saved my Pogs thinking that I would be rich one day. Pogs are like paper bottle caps where if you had one and I had one, we would stack them on top of each other. And then we'd each have these circular plastic things called slammers. And then whoever went first, if they were to throw the slammer at the Pogs, like slam the slammer at the pogs. And if they both turned over, you take them. I think those are the rules. So you tried to accumulate the best pogs. And I think this was when I was in middle school, because I have a vivid memory that just came to my mind of two kids in class who went under their desks while the teacher was teaching Mr. Goodrich. What's up broadcasting while the teacher was teaching, they just go under their desks and they had a little pog match. And when they came back up, one of the kids was crying. Who's crying. Fucking kid probably lost chagrined. Or the alligator one. Or the one called Limited. You remember Limited? Why was it Limited? Because it said Limited. It had the word Limited on it. Pogs. Nerds. Oh, nerds. I hope that fad comes back. If it does, that's what my wife and I are going to start doing when my kid goes to sleep. Pogs. You know that sounds fun right now. You know what else sounds fun? Stopping this podcast and letting you go on with your lives. All right, that's it. Put a rating on iTunes. If you want, if you can, if you're willing, and if not, of course, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. How high can I get my voice? That's fine. All right. I love you. I love you. Come in for a hug. Come here. That's episode 104. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 